0: Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, not gonna lie, I've been procrastinating making content. Um, January was really a great reflection month for me, but um, you know, one of my goals this year is to create more regular content. So here it is. So today, welcome to episode 66 of the Davidson Hang uh, Reflections and Lessons on a Life Worth Living podcast. So today I'm gonna share with you 10 quotes from Kamala Harris's biography. For those of you who are listening to this um, way after, uh, she was recently elected as uh, the first female uh, vice president of the United States. So it's a pretty exciting time for us for change. And also, she's a South Asian. So her, her mother comes from um, Indian uh, descent and her father uh, comes from, uh, he's a African-American. So a lot of progress all along. Obviously we still have a long way to go in our country, but uh, you know, excited for to be a part of the, the change. So here you go. All right. So these are my top 10 tips or top 10 quotes and why they're, they resonated with me so much. So the first one is For as long as we've been a nation of immigrants, we've been a nation that fears immigrants. In the 19 or in the 1850s, the first significant third party movement in the United States, the so-called Know Nothing Party rose to popularity on an anti-immigrant platform. In 1882, an act of Congress banned Chinese immigrants to the country. In 1917, Congress established a host of new restrictions on immigrants including a requirement that immigrants would have to know how to read in 1924 the number of newcomers allowed into the country from south southern eastern Europe was cut dr- drastically or dramatically in 1939 nearly 1000 German Jews fleeing the Nazi in, in a ship called the St. Louis was turned a- away from the United States. I wanted to talk about this quote because I think it's important to see like how far we've come. Obviously, we still have a long way to go. But, you know, America, well, like any human beings, like we're afraid of change. Um, So it really goes to show that, you know, we've made a lot of progress. But, you know, in our history, there is some dark side of uh, American history. Um, But, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like I wouldn't live anywhere else. But uh, it's good to keep in mind that, You know, there's a lot of dark darkness that comes with the lightness as well. That comes with light as well. Uh, Number two, children of immigrants also face a new kind of torment: bullying. Kids are being taunted by other kids, told that they'd be deported, told their parents they uh, told their parents will be deported, and told that they should go back to where they came from. The cruel words and actions of one prominent. Powerful bully in the White House have been mimicked and adopted as the rallying cries of bullies everywhere. But how do you handle a bully? You stand up to him. So, you know, growing up, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm Vietnamese. So there were many moments where I did uh, get some pretty harsh remarks. Um, Let's just say they don't paint. The media does not paint Asian males as the most masculine type of figures in the world. So, um, you know, being Asian, we have a lot of like positive stereotypes that we work hard and that we're and you know we have we're educated, right? But there's a lot of unconscious bias that happens as well um, when it comes to leadership opportunities and you know things like for me, if I wanted to get promoted and wanting if I wanted to dabble in management, there are a lot of unconscious bias that we still have a long ways to go. So um, number three. Whenever I travel to a country for the first time, I try to visit the highest court in the land. They are monuments of a certain kind, built not just to house a courtroom, but to send a message. In New Delhi, for example, the Supreme Court of India is designed to symbolize the balancing scales of justice. In Jerusalem, Israel's Iconic Supreme Court building combines straight lines which represents the rigid nature of law with curved walls and glass that represents the fluid nature of justice. These are buildings that speak the same that could be said of the United States Supreme Court building, which in my mind is the most beautiful of them all. It's an architecture recalls ancient Greece in the earliest days of democracy, as, th- as though you're standing in front of a modern day Parthenon Uh, that was really beauty. It really shows to go that obviously, you know, there's some loopholes and law is not perfect. You know, law is meant to be a debt to change. Obviously at one point women were not allowed to vote and, um, you know, African-Americans were slaves. Right. So clearly there's a lot that in the past that has changed. Um, But it really goes to show you that, you know, even though we think of lawyers, many of us think of lawyers as like money hungry Slazy people, the bulk, the the majority of lawyers are good people trying to make a difference in the world. So it definitely helped me think about my perspective of where some of my assumptions are when it comes to meeting lawyers and attorneys and and people like that. So number four, um, for most families, buying a home is the biggest purchase they will ever make. It's really a special moment in your life, proof of all of your hard work. You trust the people involved in the process. When the banker tells you that they qualify, that you qualify for a loan, you trust that she's reviewed the numbers and won't let you take on more than you can handle. When it comes time to finish the paperwork, it's basically a signing ceremony that feels like a celebration. When the bankers put a stack of paper in front of you, you trust them, you sign and sign and sign and sign. Uh, this is referring to the, the mortgage crisis. Obviously, we had a huge recession back in... Um, yeah, you know, if anyone has watched the movie The Big Short. Um this is interesting, you know, I b- being a homeowner um and feeling kind of like sort of the pressure of having a mortgage. I definitely think every human being should have personal responsibility, right? But sometimes you do rely and trust the system that you know, I think obviously it's a, a bit more strict now because of the crisis, but um it really goes to show I know when I was in college, and I barely was making any money. I I, I came, I ran across uh, credit card issues. And, um, you know, there's part of me that obviously, like, I should be responsible for my actions, which which I am made a lot of significant strides in that area. But systematically, you know, there needs to be responsibility on both ends, where really, they shouldn't have extended that much leverage to someone who's like barely making any money in college who's uneducated, right. So, Just something to think about. Uh, Number five, but the real reasons lie deeper in our complex financial systems of which the mortgage lenders are just one piece. Lots of powerful people bend the rules and built elaborate schemes to make money off of these bad loans. Even though most Americans didn't realize it, our, our economy has grown dependent on these scams. It was like building a brick, a tower of blocks on top of a balloon. And when the balloon popped, the entire economy came crashing down and we ended with the Great Recession. Um, Yeah, this is a pretty deep topic. And I'm obviously not an expert by any means. But my my thoughts on this was that, look, like there's a lot of uh, systems, if essentially if you know how to understand the game, whether it's tax deductions, or, you, you know, there's a lot of rules that help us, for instance, become homeowners, right? That, that make it easier. But people who don't understand these super complex, like accounting systems and all this are the ones that really don't benefit for it. So I do think educating yourself and surrounding yourself with people, like I have a financial advisor, I work with Brandon and Prem, who help me with a lot of these types of things Who that can really help me. So just something to think about, you know, surround yourself and educate yourself. Uh, surround yourself with the right people and definitely read in books and try to understand. Because if you're not really, I wouldn't say taking advantage, but if you're not making most out of your situation, there's a lot of room for growth. So number six, in the 19 in 1970s and 80s, corporate America, the owners of big companies, decided to go. Um, its own way. Instead of spending the money that the companies earned on workers, the corporations decided that their only real obligation was to the shareholders, those who brought company stock and therefore owned a piece of the company. From big business perspective, it was those owners who deserved the lion's share of the riches, not the people who made the company run. So while productivity kept improving, a whopping 74% between 1973 and 2008, And 13. Wow, that's crazy. Um, That's a pretty big jump. Workers pay rose just 9%. In 1980s, President Reagan made the idea core to the Republican Party's view of economics, cut taxes for corporations, cut taxes for shareholders, oppose minimum wage increases for workers, oppose the very idea of minimum wage, Crush, crush organized labor unions, the most powerful force fighting for workers' rights, to fair wages and decent working conditions, rollback government regulations and corporations ignore the human cost. I mean, this is a pretty controversial statement, obviously. Um I do think in general, um, a lot of America's success, you know, the, the stock market has, has definitely increased a lot of people's net worth. I do think there should be a bit more of a focus on you know, just taking care as someone who came from, from the bottom, you know, did everything from waiting tables to, you know, crappy jobs or as pre- pretty much making minimum wage, you know, working at the movie theaters at Quiznos, things like that. I do think that there could be more of an emphasis on taking care of employees in general. Um, obviously LinkedIn is a great example of a company that really does take care of their employees. Obviously not everyone has the privilege to work at a LinkedIn or has the network to work at a a. Uh, a very good company like LinkedIn, but uh, definitely something to think about. Number seven. Second, I choose to speak truth, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it leaves people feeling uneasy. When you speak truth, people won't always walk away feeling good. And sometimes you won't feel great about the reaction you receive, but at least parties will walk away knowing it was an honest conversation. This definitely resonated with me because, um, you know, there's times where I haven't said the truth before fear of conflict. Um, But yeah, I think it's always better to to be honest uh, most of the time. You know, eventually we're going to have to deal with the truth eventually. So why not be upfront about it instead of speaking behind someone's back? You know, at least people know how you truly feel versus, um, you know, just lying about it and pretending that there's nothing in this space. So, um, number eight. So there's only three more. <laughs> so if you, if you continue to listen to this far, you're a champ, you're a trooper, for reals. In the spring of 1966, Cesar Chavez led a 340-mile march of Latinx and Filipino farm workers from California's Central Valley to its state capital in an effort to draw attention to the mistreatment and terrible working conditions of his fellow farm workers. That summer, the United Farm Workers was formed and under Chavez's leadership, it would become one of the most important civil rights and labor rights organizations in the country. This is interesting. As someone who's lived in California and, you know, whenever I ha- I get fruits, the... You know, I, I I do have gratitude for all the back-breaking back work that the Latinx and uh, Filipino farm workers and, and people who are, you know, being of service to us, more privileged folks who don't, obviously don't have to kind of hurt ourselves by going through. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is a complex issue, but uh, I'm glad that there are leaders like Martin Luther King and, and Cesar Chavez who have sacrificed so much um, and have helped the greater good and help society move forward and and overall. Number nine, when I travel to the country, I see that optimism in the eyes of five and seven, 10-year-olds who feel a sense of purpose in being part of the fight. I see it and feel it. And in the energy of the people I meet, yes, people are marching. Yes, people are shouting but they're doing it from a place of optimism. That's why they've got their babies with them. That's why my parents took me in the stroller to civil rights marches, because as overwhelming as the circumstances may be, they believe, as I do, that there's a better future is possible for us all. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think when you're younger, you think the sky's the limit, right? And then some somewhere along the ways, people tell you, no, no, no. You know, I had many... Um, from guidance counselors telling me I would never become, um, a dentist to mentors and managers that told me I should quit sales. And, um, you know, it's, it's discouraging, but I think, you know, there's optimism amongst all of us and we really tap into our, our inner intuition. So the last quote I leave you with is, in fact, in 2016, researchers found that more than half of Silicon Valley's billion-dollar startups were founded by one or more immigrants. That's pretty incredible. We're a nation built of immigrants, and yet we still limit the amount of immigrants, and we still fight Im- change and immigrants that come into our country. Definitely food for thought. So I'm curious you know, if anyone else has read Kamala Harris's biography. Um, and what your thoughts are on her book, The Truth Weholds. Well, hope you enjoyed this. Uh, definitely subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Spotify or, um, ch- or subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, appreciate you making it this far, and cheers. Hope everyone has an amazing week ahead of them. Take care.